There we go. <laughs> now we're recording. Um, I'm uh, Jared Looney. I'm from Global City Mission. We have team members that are part of our mission organization in Tampa, Orlando, Atlanta, Phoenix, uh, and Philadelphia. And uh, we started, the genesis of it was when I was in ministry in the Bronx in New York City. And uh, we're reaching out, uh, doing um, outreach, disciple making, uh, and equipping disciple makers um, all, all, really all over the country and especially in those cities. And we've also worked both in, in New York and LA as well, had, have had workers there. Um, I'm real excited to uh, take the time to be with you guys. I do regular training on, um, on starting spiritual conversations, on having evangelistic interaction with people and engaging people that have, uh, whether that's little background in church, to no background in church, to dropped out of church, whatever people's background. And our team, collectively across our team, we've gathered experience that comes from you know, reaching out to uh, church dropout, atheist, Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, um, agnostic, secular, new age, witchcraft, you name it. Uh, we've had those kind of interactions with people, engaging people with the gospel of Christ. Uh, so I'm real thrilled just to uh, be here with you guys and to get to share together. And so we're going to talk about courageous conversations. What does it look like to engage people where they are and to start conversations? And the first thing I want to do is get us uh, talking a little bit. Um, I do not do monologues very much. I like to have uh, dialogue. Let's have some interaction. Um, and so if you're one of the people in this session that says, please don't make me talk, please forgive me. Um, and so let's, uh, let's talk a little bit. Turn to someone beside you just for a minute. I'm gonna cut you off. I'm just gonna give you a minute. Um, but turn to someone kind of around you. You might, if you need to move, if you have your buffer zone, you might have to kind of move a little bit. Uh, close your buffer zone in. Uh, but when you think of evangelism, what comes to mind? And I, I wanna get you guys to talk for a minute and then I wanna hear from some of you and uh, just kind of take our temperature. Um, when you think of the word evangelism, when you hear that word, the E word, right? The word evangelism, what comes to mind? Uh, talk for a minute, answering that question together. Ready, set, go. I'm just giving you a minute, so jump in. Okay, what are some of you guys' thoughts? What are you guys' thoughts? What, what do you share? And getting you to talk to each other first, you can say, uh, if, you're, if you don't quite like your idea, what, what, what did the other person share with you? <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, reaching out and talking to someone. And we're talking about evangelism specifically, I assume content, right, of, about Christ, yeah. Yeah, figure out where they are. Good. Yeah, you know what? I think I'm just going to give you guys the mic. You guys can kind of take this. That's great. Yeah, we're going to hit that principle. Okay, what else? What did you guys share? Yeah. 
having a conversation and introducing them to who Jesus is. Yeah, just having a conversation, introducing them to who Jesus is. That's wonderful. Um, I feel like sometimes with evangelism, we get so caught up on like the presentation of the progr program, we forget that it can be a conversation, right? Yeah. Um, moving out uh, of your comfort zone. Okay. Sharing your testimony Okay, moving out of your comfort zone, sharing testimony, that kind of thing. Cool, cool. What, one more. Soul winning. Sharing your knowledge. Yeah, about Christ. Okay, and teaching the Bible. Um, these are all really good answers. Did anybody kind of wrestle with kind of what you don't want evangelism to be? Like when you think of evangelism, do you think of the stuff that kind of gets in your nerves a little bit? Okay, did, did that come to mind for any of you guys? Um, I have an 18-year-old daughter, and she was telling me a story about how um, her and, and my wife were at, um, they're at a store, and this guy's trying to, to, to talk to them and trying to get them to, to, to pray a prayer and, and trying to kind of corner them, and he, he literally follows them, I think, about five or six department stores down the the way of the shopping strip just trying and then he tried to like start doing some kind of prayer I, I don't know what he, they didn't I don't, don't remember what he was doing but some sort of prayer or some sort of um you know thing that he was trying to trying to pronounce and get them to do with my and like he, he was forgetting it my wife would finish it for him because we're pretty much already Christians you know and so like um I mean th there was another guy who lived in New York City that would like literally he's doing train preaching because you know if you if you're on that certain time of day in the train you're gonna hear some train preachers in New York, he's doing the train preaching, and uh, and literally, he thinks the thing to do is to try to start arguments with everybody on the on the train car. I mean, are these the kind of things we're talking about? It's not, is it? Because evangelism is more than a presentation, kind of a prefab template. It's more than um, it's more than a program. Though you can have evangelistic presentations and programs, but more than anything, to me. And it was what you shared, evangelism is a conversation, that, that spiritual conversations are conversations. And a professor of mine years and years ago, he, he had this uh, statement that I really love, and I still repeat it many times today, uh, where he said, evangelism can be as simple as gossiping the good news. Right? It can be as simple as gossiping the good news. But if we're going to start to learn something, if we're going to start to, to try to, to engage in some new practices, one of the things we have to do is we have to realize that for something to happen naturally, first it must be intentional. Um, I'm not musical, but those people who are musical tell me that instruments are not fun until you get good at it. <laughs> okay? It takes a lot of practice first. Uh, when you were small, probably around one, give or take a few months, um, you were crawling around and you saw other people walking around and you said, I want to try that too. And you intentionally got up and you fell down a few times, but eventually you stopped thinking about the fact that you're walking. You were intentional until it became natural. Playing sports, right? I know a little bit about sports. So there's all kinds of different positions of muscle memory you get your body into, whether it's golf, which I know nothing about, or basketball, or which I know a few things about, or baseball, all the different positions that you stand, you stand in and you create muscle memory. But when you first do it, it doesn't feel very natural until you do it enough times that first you're intentional, then it becomes natural. So anything we talk about. Now this is a, I'm spending about an hour with you guys, and we're going to talk together. 
And this is something, I, I do three-hour workshops for churches on this. Um, we do uh, seven-week online trainings of 90 minutes each on this. We do a, a lot of work, so I'm, I'm kind of giving you guys the, the overview, I'm trying to, but I'm trying to give you some things of value in this hour, okay? Um, and so just be aware, there's a lot more that we can unpack, and I'd be happy to, to spend more time talking with you guys if, you, if any of you want to. Uh, and I'll have contact information, all that kind of good stuff. So let's do another quick uh, discussion time together. If you remember Mark 4, 1 through 20, the parable of the sower, I like to refer to it as the parable of the four soils, just kind of shifting our focus for the sake of our discussion here. Um, and, and so if, do you remember what happens to that story? Because we, we don't have time to like just read through it and do a whole rehash. But you remember what happens, the, the sower, right? The farmer, he's throwing out seed. Um, and there's different kinds of soil. Do you remember the kinds of soil? Okay, we're going to test this here. What, what do we got? Rocky, right? This is a rocky. Okay, the thorny, the, 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 like the path, the, gra- the shallow ground, um, the, the good soil, okay? So you got the soil that the, the, the falls in the path, the birds eat it up. You got the, uh, you, you got the, 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 or the, the seed that falls on, on shallow soil. It has no roots, so it says the person receives it with joy, but, but doesn't last, right? Um, you have the, uh, the, the thorny, which always kind of disturbs me a little bit. Thinking about what, what, what the brother shared this morning, the, what, what Mark Jones shared this morning, that, that man about being productive and it, that thorny soil, that thorny soil. Jesus doesn't say, and I, I, don't, I hope I'm not stretching the parable too much here, but Jesus doesn't say that they go away. He says they're not fruitful. They're not fruitful because they're too distracted by the worries of this life and by wealth. Okay? Uh, but the good soul, right, that multiplies. That multiplies. What, what do we learn from this parable about evangelism? T- turn to each other. Again, I give you like a minute or less because we're just doing like the hour blow through here. But turn to each other and talk for a minute. There's more than, th- there's a lot of things you can learn here. For our purposes, I'm just pulling out a couple of principles. But I want to just get you guys kind of thinking about it a little bit. What do we learn about evangelism from this parable? What do we learn about evangelism from this parable? Turn to someone beside you, answer that question, ready, set, go. Okay, let me jump in. What do you guys think? What were you, you, you kind of sharing with each other there? What, what do you think? What, what, what do we learn from this parable? Uh, well, I'm saying we control the seed, not the ground. Okay, you, and, and you control the scattering of the seed, right? I mean, you're scattering, the farmer is scattering the seed. They said the, the parable tells us the seed is the good news of the kingdom of God, okay? Another way we could frame that is the good news that God reigns on earth. 
okay? It's the good news that Jesus is king. Maybe another way we could frame that, okay? So it's the good news. And, and the, the farmer, he doesn't control the soil in the story. He just controls the scattering of the seed, right? So, so there's kind of an issue of what, what really is our role and what do we control? Good, what else? We just throw it, period. Yeah, we just throw it. Because think about this. This is, this is not modern society where Jesus is telling the story. It's an agrarian society. These people know, you could live in Rome, population of a million, and you still understand agriculture because this entire society is agrarian. People understand this stuff. Uh, when I came to Florida from New York, man, I'm like, I got a house, I got a yard, and I like plant and fruit trees and everything. You know, like, and, and I learned, you know, because I was new to this. But, but this is a society where it's an agrarian society. People have a general understanding of agriculture, and yet this farmer is just throwing it indiscriminately, generously, recklessly, everywhere. Why? Because he's not controlling the soil. He's just, he's just throwing out. Let's, be, let's, let's have a caution here. Let's, let's bookmark this a second. Let's make sure that we don't have a flippant attitude of just, well, I'm going to share the gospel badly <laughs> because it doesn't matter, right? Like, that's, that's not what we're saying. But we are because it's quality seed landing in all the different kinds of soil, right? So we, we want to do our best. The best that we can. We're human, but we want to do our best we can. So we're throwing out the seed, but, but we're not determining the soil. We're just casting the seed, and, and we're, not, we're not predetermining what is receptive soil. Um, a friend of mine in California, I hope you'll forgive me for this joke, <laughs> a friend of mine in California said, um, bad people make great soil. They have a lot of fertilizer in their life. <laughs> okay. There's a lot going on there. Okay. Um, so it, we, we just, we're just scattering the seed and we're not determining where the receptivity is going to be. I, I, one thing I noticed about, you know, cause Florida is just, it's hot, it's rainy, all that stuff. So stuff just grows everywhere. And you, you know, you, you can be like this, this, this pathway with, you got stones and stuff. And, but there's like, there's like these places it comes up in between and just fi- things find ways to grow. And where there's good soil, maybe that soil is nestled in between some shallow and some thorns and the farmer's just throwing it everywhere. He's not determining the soil, all right? What else? One or two more? One or two more? Yeah. Okay. Without, you know, just, you can't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. You will, like, in, in going out, like, sometimes, you know, people show people because of how they look, mm-hmm. how they smell. Mm-hmm. So the four soils in my lens that you just you can't discriminate. You just yeah. Have to say you're throwing the seeds uh, everywhere. Yeah. Because that's the good news. So you don't discriminate no matter what the soil is because you're going to have the differences. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the thing is, so she's talking about there's different kinds of people, different, different types of people, so there's just diversity, so we scatter the this, this seed, and we're not determining, and, and we're not discriminating, right? It's kind of what, what you're hearing, what you're hearing from that. Um, you, you can also, I, I learned um, very early on, I had this potted plant when I first got married, and, and I, uh, I about killed that thing from overwatering. Um, sometimes we also push people who aren't ready to have the conversation, we push them so hard because it's not so much about us as much about them as much as we think it's about us. So we push them so hard, so we want the notch in our belt that we can overwater and kill it completely, kill the conversation. 
Sometimes you have to lay the, let the soil lay fallow for a while. I learned this about farming. <laughs> you let the, let the soil lay fallow for a while, let it be for a while so it can kind of regain a readiness, kind of the, the nutrients and be ready to, to have a harvest. So we also have to remember that we have to meet people where they are. And we'll definitely, we'll definitely visit about that here in a second, some more. So there's a metaphor, there's a metaphor that we use um, pretty frequently. Um, we're talking about, um, we talk about evangelism. And so first, let me, let me, almost missed it. Let me, let me share with you a couple of key principles that we draw out from the parable. Uh, one is, is that we do have to scatter lots of seed, right? That's one of the principles, because you're just scattering seed everywhere, because it might land on some good soil, some places that are, that are ready to receive it. Here's another principle we need to draw from uh, the parable of the sower, the parable of the four soils. We need to get away from trying to win the debate and instead seek receptivity to the conversation. And I'm not even saying receptivity to um, conversion yet. I'm saying just receptivity to the conversation, receptivity to engage. Okay, that's what we're looking for. Um, and so, because when you think about it, right, the, the farmer just throws the seed all over the place and it depends on the receptivity of the soil. And how often are we trying to win the debate and, and, and sometimes, hear me guys, sometimes all we're doing is inoculating people to the gospel. Because we're just pushing and pushing and pushing and arguing and arguing and trying to win the debate because that's really more about us than it's about, the, it's about them. Sometimes we're, we're, we're more concerned with um, our, our attempts to save the person than actually saving the person. Because okay? we push, we push, we push. Right? We have to meet people where they are. And that's real. Now that doesn't mean that someone can't become open at another point, right? We have stories, multiple stories across our team of someone who was shared with, right? The gospel shared with them, they have some spiritual conversations, they brought up things, they weren't real open. And so it didn't really move forward, but, 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 but they're aware the person sharing with them is a follower of Jesus because some of those conversations happened, but there wasn't a lot of openness there. And it, sometimes it's a year later and things start to open up. Um, and I can tell you story after story of that happening. Um, but you know when that doesn't happen? When you keep tackling them and like beating them with the Bible and like coming at, I mean, that's when it often doesn't happen, right? Um, so we continue to love them unconditionally. We have a, a member of our team, he's in Phoenix and he's had like, he'll do like three, three four, five, um, uh, we, we call discovery groups or, you know, Bible study groups at a time. And, um, and he said there's other, and he's doing with international students, and there's other ministries also reaching out to international students who are having a hard time even getting one Bible study group going. And, and I'll tell you what the difference is. He's hospitable, and he loves people unconditionally. And so when he asks them to meet with him and says to them, you, are, you continue to be my friend regardless of what you do, um, and he continues to have them in his home no matter what they do, and just share meals together and just be friends and go on hikes, because um, I guess you do that in Arizona. And so, like, that, that, you know, that's, it's just made such a difference, just being just truly real with people like that. So we need to scatter lots of seeds, and I'm going to give you, like, a quick overview today of some of the practices, conversational practices that we use, kind of try to give you a practical handle in terms of helping people um, scatter lots of seeds in a way that doesn't make people run, <laughs> okay? 
Um, and then the other principle, again, is we've got to shift away from trying to win the debate to seeking receptivity to engage the conversation. Okay? Um, there's another metaphor that we use, and that's the building a mosaic. Right? If you remember mosaic, um, you can see it still like in subway tunnels and you know, if you remember your art history and stuff like that. Uh, a mosaic is a piece of art where uh, the, the artist creates this picture using uh, pieces of tile or different colored glass um, and things like that, stones, things like that, and, they, and they, they put them together, you know, putting the different color patterns together until it forms this picture. And so like that's an example of a mosaic. If it was a little bit closer screen, you'd be able to see the little blocks and everything a little bit better. But um, so they, they put together um, these, these tiles and these pieces of glass and these stones and it forms a mosaic. So here's the metaphor, right? As you're talking with people, as you're engaging with people, um, each conversation is a few more tiles. And each conversation you have a few more tiles and a few more tiles. Now, cards on the table, I have an underlying assumption here. And that is if, if what we're after, if what we're after is not simply kind of a notch on my belt, but what I'm really after is forming disciples of Jesus, that usually doesn't happen in the one-off experience. Now, can we have our Ethiopian eunuch moment and have that experience? Yes. Yes, but it's not the aim, because most people, and if we think of our own stories, you probably had an event or a moment that, where you crossed the line, but if you really think about it, all the relationships and conversations and thoughts and you know, nightmares and everything else that led up to, you know, that, led up to that moment, right? That's how spiritual formation works is there's all these different factors and relationships and conversations and examples and thoughts and things I've read and, 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 and emergencies I've been through and all these different stuff that touches our life and, and moves us towards Jesus. So what we're saying is forming disciples of Jesus is a, is a relationship, it's a conversation, it's a series of conversations, right? So every conversation you have, you're laying down a few more tiles and a few more tiles and a few more tiles. And each time you lay down those tiles, each time you have the, that engagement with someone, each time you're a good example for them, they also see the gospel and flesh in you and in, in living, in, you know, living example. Each time you have a conversation, you're explaining something about Jesus, you're sharing something about God, you're, you're diving into this idea of this creator. Every time you have these conversations, it's a few more tiles until the picture of the mosaic gets clearer and clearer. And people start to get uh, the image of the gospel uh, in their minds. They start to see what this is and what it's calling them to. Um, and, it's, and it usually takes place through a series of conversations and dialogue. The question all, often comes up, okay, so where do I start? What are the first tiles that I lay down? You know what my answer is? I don't care. I don't know, it needs to be something about faith in God, right? But, but, but like, what is that content? What's that thing? And what people mean when they're asking that question is, what is like the presentation where I can close that deal in a single conversation? And I'm saying, stop thinking along the lines of a, of a presentation when you close the deal in a single conversation. Um, because most people, that is not how they come to faith. And a lot of times when we feel like that has worked, we were doing that in a society where people were half a generation removed from church. 
And that's no longer our society. We have to think like missionaries. We have to think in new ways because that's no longer our society, right? Um, and, and again, are there, are there outliers? Are there examples of things that, that are, you know, where, where people do come like that? Well, yeah, yeah. But again, if we examine it more closely, there's often things that took place before we got there. You know what I love? I love meeting somebody who is ready. I meet them and man, they are ready to come to Christ. It happens fast. I look like an amazing evangelist. It is so fun. But you know what the reality is? There was 10 people who came before me and I am reaping where someone else has sown and I have a, had a bunch of relationships that boy, do they frustrate me because boy, do I want to really close the deal. But I sowed where others end up reaping. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, we need to think along the lines of assuming, assuming that the people we're talking to aren't already church friendly, don't already have background, don't know the story of Jesus. We need to, don't, don't speak our religious jargon. We need to assume those things. Now, what I like to say to people is you start engaging somebody and they actually maybe came from a background and they switch over to religious jargon. Well, then you, if you want, you can switch with them. You're bilingual. Okay, but, but we need to learn how to talk to people in their language, in their context, in their worldview. And one of the things I like saying to different groups and different conferences and stuff I've done is that, listen, I don't care if it's someone who culturally, lingually, um, neighborhood-wise, whatever, right, whatever their background, and, you know, they, they kind of they look and sound like you. If they're not from a religious background, that is cross-cultural ministry, Okay. If they are not from the same faith background as you, that is cross-cultural ministry. Um, and so we need to assume, right, Cause so, uh, that, that people do not already kind of share this common ground with us. Now look, it's a continuum in reality. You'll meet people who share some common ground, you know, more, to more or less degrees. You'll, you'll meet those people, but we need to go into conversations assuming that they don't, and then we can adjust as we discover where they're coming from and who they are. The problem is so often we go into talking with people assuming that we share all this common ground and we miss them completely. We miss them completely. So we need to go in assuming we don't have any common ground. Then if we discover that we do, it's like, okay, I'll adjust. Okay, you, you're already there on this. And okay, well, that, that's, that's great. And we found this across the board, right? So like in our ministry, I mean, if we're, if we're talking to someone from a Muslim background, there are some things there that are in common. There's things there that aren't. They're, they're down with virgin birth. They think Jesus was a prophet. There's some things, that, but they don't go cross-resurrection. They don't go there. And certainly not God. Certainly not word incarnate, right? But you go talk to a Hindu, they have no problem with Jesus being God, but they don't know a thing about the story, but they have like 300 million gods, so no problem, right? But then you got to elevate him as ultimate Lord and king, like the God, right? So there's different things. When I've worked in Latin American context, Man, someone can be three generations going back to like great-grandparents or something, removed from any church experience, but the Catholic tradition did its job on Jesus being God. Boy, no problem. We're already there, <laughs> okay? So again, different people. I'm just throwing out some ex kind of examples to the extremes, but then different people, different context, different, like each one, different common ground and different uncommon, you know, different ground that is not shared in those conversations. But I want to go into every conversation assuming that we don't have the common ground. And then as I talk to you, as I listen to you, then I start determining where um, you are and kind of what's, what is the bridge? What's the common ground where we can meet?
and then we start working from there. Does that make sense? Yeah. I have a question because it's a different culture. Yeah. How do you go into an environment where, let's say, they're Indian? Yeah, yeah. So the, the long answer to that is like a semester-long course, <laughs> but the but the, the one or two-minute answer is um, the one or two-minute answer is we need to learn how to ask questions and listen well. Because and, and here's the thing: with every culture you encounter, every subculture you encounter, you you want to identify what are the bridges for the gospel. Every culture, every subculture, there will be bridges. Now, if we have a very narrow view of how to present the gospel, we may miss those bridges because it's based on our own cultural background, right? But every culture, every subculture will have bridges for sharing the gospel. What's a way to bridge the good news to this people? Every culture, every subculture, including our own, and again, I'm also talking about following Jesus, so sometimes our religious culture, you know, every culture, every subculture, there are also barriers to the gospel, okay? So we have to learn what those are because we have to navigate them. I'm not saying water down the gospel, but we have to navigate them. We have to help people work through those things, right? So every culture, every subculture, there will be bridges for the gospel, there will be barriers to the gospel. That's missionary 101. Um, and, and, and with that, the, um, the, the most important skill you can learn in evangelism is not talking, it's what? Listening. Because often we don't know how to even address the bridges and barriers if we're not listening to worldview and where people are coming from. I would. Now, I advocate for a style of conversation that is not uh, this passive waiting game for them to just somehow discover I'm a Christian. Um, at least some of the churches that, that I kind of came up through in, in the 80s and 90s and kind of youth and college and a little bit beyond, th there was this, um, there was this um, emphasis that kind of, it, it was trying to be a corrective of some of the earlier kind of, it's trying to correct obnoxious evangelism. <laughs> And they called it friendship evangelism. That sounds good, right? We want to be friends. I was just saying earlier, guy in Phoenix, that's what he does, and it works beautifully, right? People are coming to Christ. But what they meant when they said friendship evangelism was, I'm going to be this really good person, and they're going to ask me someday, and then I'll be able to answer. Now, it happened just enough to kind of perpetuate the myth a little bit, you know, because there's always exceptions to the rule, always. Everything I'm saying today, there will be exceptions to the rule, Okay. Because um, we're talking about human beings. But, but it happened just enough pressure. But for the most part, people didn't ask, so we didn't tell, and created a generation of passive Christianity, at least among those churches where that was kind of the influential way of approaching it. So I really advocate for unconditional friendship, but upfront letting people know that we're people of faith. You know, and so really, so there's no bait and switch. Like it's real upfront. Um, Okay, this is a principle that comes out of the mosaic metaphor. We meet people where they are, not where we want them to be. How often do our prepared presentations and our templates and our things we put together and our tracks or whatever else that we have that is, is, is not meeting someone where they're at, that this is already prepared for someone who's in this kind of place this position in their worldview, this, this, this understanding, and so that's where we're hitting them. But instead, we want to say, let's just engage people where they are and enter into really organic, real conversations with people 
and meet them where they are, not where we want them to be. And thinking about the image of the mosaic, we're laying down each of those tiles with every conversation that we're having, right? With people, we're, we're doing that. We're laying down those tiles. We're engaging people, having those conversations. And the starting point is whatever faith conversation they're ready to have. I don't care if it's something David did, if it's something out of creation, if it's one of the parables Jesus tells, if it's the central message of cross and resurrection, if they're ready for that, wonderful. Um, if it's something weird out of Ezekiel, have you read Ezekiel? I mean, I don't care, I don't care what, I don't care what um, it is, whatever the starting point is, whatever faith conversation they're ready to have, that's where you start. And you lay down a few more tiles, a few more tiles. Now, do you want to get to the central message and the meat, the main stuff and the salvation? Of course you do. And some people that takes three conversations and some people that takes three years. But you meet them where they are. Not just simply where you want them to be. That's, uh, that's the principle. Okay, how are we doing? Uh, okay, I want to get you guys to talk more, but I'm also... Let's do this and then we'll... Actually, you know what? Let's not do that. Let's get you guys to just talk for a minute because I want to get you guys engaged on this. Um, turn to each other and let's just check in on where we are so far. What are you hearing? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Just in what we've talked about. Let's just check in because different people have different responses to this. What are you thinking? What are you hearing? What are you feeling? Ready, set, go. Just giving you a minute. This is the one-hour version. Okay, one-hour version. Let me get you guys back quick. Okay. Um, what are your thoughts? What are you hearing? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? The gospel's not a club. The not a club to beat someone over the head with? Yeah, it's good news. And, and let, me, let, me, let me drill down that just for a minute. I was training this group. It was a missionary training. People would come to New York City for one year, and during that year, they're reaching out in teams to different unreached people groups. Because if you count up all the unreached people groups in New York City, um, you know, Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, Jewish, etc., you count all those groups up in New York City, it would be the second largest city in America. Um, and so we had teams reaching out to those different groups, and it was a missionary training program. About four or five different agencies was sending people to New York for this training. And so I was coaching a group. They're reaching out to people from the Balkans and, and uh, um, kind of southern part of Mediterranean part of Europe, um, which is actually a, a little Muslim section of Europe. Um, and they're reaching out to people there or from, from there, and, uh, and they were having a lot of culture shock. 
who's kind of a hard to engage people. This is a people that had the east-west schism of the church and like, what, what is that, around 1,000 or something? Um, and then Islam and then communism. And then, I mean, it's just, you know, Western secularization. It's just, it's a hard, hard area. Um, in the interior of Kosovo, some of the first churches are being planted in 400 years. I mean, it's, it's a hard area. Um, so they're reaching out and they're struggling. They're having a little culture shock. So I had them do this exercise. We're practicing telling Bible stories in a conversational way, right? So I had them go around and do this practice. And all of them um, just had stories of, how, of, of conviction, of how these people need to like change. And I stopped after everyone had their turn. I said, all of that's true. I mean, you know, if we engage the gospel, we're all going to be challenged. There, there's no way around it. You engage, you're going to be challenged. All of us. But is there no good news for this people? Is there no good news for this people? What else? What else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The message is the same, but the method does 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 um, change. Uh, and and I I agree one hundred and ten percent. But but look what happens in the Bible as well, right? The, the message doesn't change, but there is translation that takes place. So they're, they're talking about Jesus the Christ, which is Messiah or anointed one, because the Jews had this expectation of an anointed king, right? Anointed Messiah. Um, and so it's Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah. That's who they're declaring. And then when some, uh, some guys from Cyprus and Cyrene go uh, to Antioch and they start declaring um, Jesus to the Greeks, it was, uh, they went from Yesu Christos to Yesu Kurios, Jesus is Lord, which can get you in a lot of trouble because they're saying Jesus is the true emperor of the world and not Caesar. So that, that was a political statement, <laughs> okay? It was a big deal. Um, and so they go and declare that because what would the awaiting of a Messiah meant, mean to the Greeks? It would mean nothing to them, okay? Now again, there was the meaning the same, the message the same, yes. But there was translation, sorry, there was translation because of who they were talking to. Okay. Yeah. What else? One, one, maybe one more. How are we doing? Yeah, let's do one more. Let's do one more. What are you hearing? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Yeah. The importance of listening. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we know what we know, but you want to listen sometimes before responding. You, 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 it's, you just said uh, is so true that listening is such an important skill in relationship, period. And so certainly we're communicating the gospel. And I think we're, we're, sometimes when we're communicating the gospel and we divorce that from relationship, um, then I, I, think, I think we're sometimes missing it because our, our life is an apologetic as well. Um, and so it's, it's the way we love people, the way we befriend people, the way we care for people. Uh, now, we, we have different reactions, right? There, there's some, there's some, some in the church that will go, uh, they'll just talk, and there's not a lot of loving action. And there's folks that will just do loving action, hoping people will figure it out, and they never verbalize their faith. And I think we need to have loving action and verbalized faith, integrated, intertwined, combined as one. You know, I think, I think that's where we need to be. Okay. Let's do this. This is kind of fun. Um, I'll read that for you. I think that screen's a little bit. You need to turn your head. 
Um, so thinking about this, right, and someone said this earlier, kind of the idea that there's different types of people. So this just illustrates some of the point. How would you approach spiritual seekers? So someone's a spiritual seeker. They're actively looking for the answer, okay? Just people shout it out. Let's just do that. Let's, somebody shout it out. How would you approach spiritual seeker? What are they looking for? Yeah, what are they looking for, right? They're looking for truth. They're looking for what's real. So what do you do? Yeah, or, or find them to a Bible study, or, or, or tell them, right? Or just, or like, you know, I mean, sit down with them, right? Because they're looking, and somehow they found you. Hallelujah, <laughs> okay? Isn't that great? I love these people. <laughs> it's so fun. Because again, I look like a great evangelist, but it had nothing to do with me. They just found me, you know, but, but they're looking, right? So you just tell them, right? I mean, you can connect them to a community, like connect them to an experience, whatever it is, like just get with them. What about someone who's open to the messenger? They're open to the messenger. They're open to you. Share your testimony. Maybe, maybe share your testimony. Um, probably have the friendship. I, again, I would advocate for signal you're a person of faith in conversation, but probably not pushing too hard because they're not necessarily open to the message, but they like you and they're not sure why. they like you but they're not real confident why that is Um, so they're open to the messenger right Um, open to the message so this is the different from the seeker and that they're not actively out looking for it but if someone approaches them they'll listen all right so someone open to the message if you know that about them you want to try to initiate the conversation right Um, if, if you know that about them if you find that out about them you know in a relationship what about someone who never heard of Jesus? Introduce them, right? Like have the conversation. And some people think this is just somebody far off in some, you know, desert or mountaintop village or jungle somewhere or something like that. I can't tell you how many people that we have walked through the gospel here in North America, they're hearing the story for the first time. Right? A lot of people have actually never heard um, I was sharing with someone recently, so my, my daughter, she just started at USF, she was a, an AP English last year, and she told me, so these are, so she was at King, so uh, if you know high schools in the city, she was at King, and so uh, the, she was in AP English, so these would be like the, the top 30 kids at King, okay, and, and so she says, in that class, she says, when the, the teacher asked about some literature that made a biblical reference, every single time, she was the only one that knew the answer. People don't know the story. We, they don't know the story, okay? Um, yeah, well, I think what we are is we're on a trajectory where with each generation, it's increasing. That's, that's what's happening. Uh, 30% of America right now, 30% of the United States self-identify as non-religious. If you ask them what your religion, they'll say none. So people call it the nuns, the researchers call it the nuns, uh, N-O-N-E-S. But uh, as 30% of the United States would self-identify that way, okay? Um, and, but if you look at, if you look at the, it, generationally, it's, it's, the younger generation is way more than 30%. Again, that's because it's an average. That is people that, if you ask them, are you Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, Jewish, Bahi, whatever, they'll say nothing. I'm nothing. If you say, are you Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, they say, I'm nothing. 
Now, that does not mean they don't believe in spiritual things or that there is a God. Um, but they're, they're not identifying with our traditional structures. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, no. The, actually, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of piecing it together. There was, there, there was actually a study, and these numbers will fluctuate depending on who's doing the research and their method and all that kind of stuff. But there was one study that showed that they, they asked people that identify as no, no religion, and they, were, and they were talking to them, and, and 71% of that group, so about, what is that, three-fourths almost, of that group identified also as, I'm spiritual but not religious. Um, so they're not connecting with kind of what we thought traditionally as Christian faith, but there is an interest in spirituality. And it may look a whole lot of different ways, but, but um, you know, and, and with some, some good things that got in there from, from Christ, the influence of Christianity and other things that got in there too, you know, but, there's, but there is an interest in, in spirituality. Um, a distorted version. We've never met anyone like that, right? <laughs> Here in Florida, we never, <laughs> but, um, but, but again, how do you talk to someone? Let's assume they're open to the conversation, because that's not always the case, but let's assume they're open to the conversation. How do you talk to someone who has a distorted version of the gospel? Okay? My experience is it's not the same as someone who's never heard of Jesus. Someone never heard of Jesus, I'm doing almost no deconstruction, <laughs> okay? I'm just telling the story, and it's wonderful. Someone that's coming from a distorted version, I'm kind of navigating a lot of different stuff, right? What about someone who's hostile to the faith? What about someone who's hostile? You say go to the next person? <laughs> yeah, love. You still got to be a seed planter. Don't try to force the issue. Yeah, soft words, yeah, yeah. And that's where one of the things, I love what you said love, just like, I do think it's good still to, to signal, we'll talk about some of this in a second, but just kind of signal to people in conversation, but I, wouldn't, but I would do it very subtly, very lightly, very softly, you know, and then if you know that's where they're at, and then what I've, what I've sometimes told people is if you're, if you're kind of making spiritual references to someone in your conversation, and, and, um, and uh, if they ignore you, let them, they heard you. If, uh, if someone changes the subject, they definitely heard you. <laughs> if someone starts an argument, you change the subject. Um, now, the, here's the exception. If someone you know well, an argument is just how they talk. We all have those friends, right? <laughs> you know? But, but you've got to know them well enough to know that. Uh, because if it's someone who's like hostile, we may be, be, be kind of pull, pulled into a little bit of a trap. Not someone that someone's setting on purpose, but like a little bit of a bad situation where this is not going to do any good. Um, and so uh, some of the hostile. Now, as we think about these things, right, just looking at these different kind of profiles, is it a one-size-fits-all? Right? Is it, I mean, it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all. But how often are our prepared presentations, and we refer to sharing the gospel, a one-size-fits-all? Mm-hmm. Most of the time. Let me give you a... Let me give you a kind of a wild example, right? So, so we've done a lot of cross-cultural work, people all from all around the world in cities, in really diverse cities like Tampa, New York, places like that. And so in some cases, if you take your very much, you just have to make a decision as an individual 
and you're dealing with a culture from another part of the world where you make decisions as families, as community groups. It is a communal culture. Now, America, the United States is the most individualistic culture in the world. It's been studied. You know who's second and third? Britain and Australia. So I wonder where we got it from. <laughs> and so, and so, and so we, are, we, are, we are one of the most individualistic societies in the world. And then we encounter people where that's not how they operate. So we got to get into the group and engage multiple people in a conversation. We've, I, I have a friend who is reaching out to West African Muslims. And they were guys that were here, that were working, that had family back there. So they're literally, here, this is seriously, they're having transatlantic uh, conversion negotiations. Are we going to become Christians? That's just kind of a, a wild example of how we go in with assumptions from our own culture and our own understanding of how things work, but then we may encounter someone, that's where we need to ask questions and listen. Again, that's the, that's the 101. We need to ask questions and listen. How does it work for them? Like a key question is getting at is, how, how, how do they make decisions? Is it individual? Is it through like a patriarch? Is it a family conversation? Is it peer pressure among their peer group? How do they even make decisions? Because when you talk about coming to Christ, that ultimately is a decision. How are decisions made, right? So there's a lot that we have to learn as we're engaging people. And, and again, it, it's, it's not overly complicated. It really is asking questions and listening, you know? Yeah. Even before you go Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it a lot of um, background, how you grew up, mm -hmm. what your parents may have taught you? Yeah. So, how do you navigate? Yeah, you're saying just, it's, it, I, I, I still would kind of consider that like a, a microcosm of culture. Like, again, when I'm talking about culture, I'm not just talking about like the, you know, reaching like the Arab Muslim or the Indian Hindu. I'm talking about like, man, anyone who's kind of not from your same religious worldview, there, there, there is a cross cultural aspect to it. But you're talking about people from your own community that just, it's kind of how they grew up, it's, it's what their family background is, it's how they were raised. And, and, that, and that's going to be true, right? And, and if you're talking about in uh, most um, native-born American kind of communities, um, it, it's, it's largely going to be degrees of individual decision, right? Now, there may be family influence, but there's going to be degrees of individual decision for the most part. Um, but as you, as you're, but it's the same stuff, really. I mean, as you're connecting with people, I may not have in my mind this grand narrative of like everyone from the Middle East or everyone from India, something like that. But I may have in mind, um, you know, what, what were things like in their family? What was their religious background? What was their experience? And so I, I can't tell you how many people I have sat with that have been, that have come from a background of religious trauma with a Christian label on it. You know, and so I have to, I have to work. I'm, it's like, am I evangelizing or counseling? Yes. <laughs> you know, and so I'm, I'm working, working through that with, with people. And that's, that's family background. That's just personal experience. That's, you know, just things that, that people have been through, um, walking through it. So again, it, it really goes back to, this gets a little repetitive. It really goes back to like asking questions and listening so that we can identify what are the bridges and barriers? What are the bridges and barriers? I do try to use language that is as descriptive as possible. Like sometimes I don't use the word church if I'm talking about church, I may just describe it. Because I don't know what their understanding is, right? So I just may describe something, if that sounds interesting to them, then I'm like, 
yeah, well, okay, then we're talking about it. And then, you know, do you want to kind of come and see it? And if they go like, oh, you mean church? I'm like, yeah, church. <laughs> you know, but, but, I, but like Christian, right? Christian in our society right now, what does that mean? Is that a follower of Jesus? Is that a disciple of Christ? Or is that a political affiliation? Right? Like, what, again, what do, it's not what, I'm not saying what it is. I'm saying what do people think? when they hear the terms that we use. So like I refer to myself as a follower of Jesus most frequently. Same thing, no baggage, right? So I'm, I'm just, I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, yeah. So you raise an interesting point mm-hmm. with regard to the individual over against the Philippian jailer's whole household. Yeah. So, do you know how? Um, I, I, have you guys heard of like the house church movement in China? You guys heard about that stuff? Some of you, maybe not. So there's, there, so at one point, I would say in the early 2000s, I don't know what the current statistic would be. In the early 2000s, there was six, there was 10,000 people every six weeks coming to Christ in China. Um, and so uh, there are probably more evangelical Christians, small e, you know, but, uh, but conservative, biblically conservative Christians in Beijing than there probably are in Tampa. Um, and so you have, uh, you have these movements. So I- Iran is the fastest growing church movement in the world right now. Um, it's all underground, so to speak, you know, it's all like house church, all that kind of stuff happening. Um, so like those things are happening. You know how a lot of them happen? It's household. A lot of it is household. It is identifying someone that is the door to a group. And that's actually how we train our missionaries. And, you know, we adapt and do different things because we're dealing with incredibly multicultural mix. But as often as we can, we want to identify groups that we can, and it's usually a person that is the doorway to a group. Um, so actually what you're talking about is, is really some of the most successful mission strategy from around the world. It's taking a little time for us to catch on to it here in America. So, so in that context, I assume that there's been a reinforcement application in the experience that when a group makes a decision, it is as good as the validation of the individual. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is how, this is how, so I asked a question. I was doing, I was doing research during my doctoral studies and asked a question to a guy who'd worked in East Asia. And I said, um, what is the difference between the evangelism that you see taking place in America and the evangelism you see taking place in these movements that are taking place in Asia, where like hundreds of thousands of people are coming to Christ in these movements, where it's often illegal to become, to even declare Christ. And so, and somehow that's still happening, you know. So I said, what, what is one of the main differences? He said, well, there's a few things, but here's a key one. He said, one of the things is, is that in the America, in the West, we win them and then we try to group them. So you get an individual, then we try to get them into our group, right? He said in these movements, we're grouping them and then we're went trying to win them, right? So we, we bring this group together and then we're working on the group. You know, and that's one of the key differences in strategy. So, okay, you got something and then I want to make sure not to miss this other stuff. Okay, go. Like you said earlier, you said in America, in the West, mm-hmm. it's more like individualism. So mm-hmm. it's harder to, to group people together 
in that sense of reaching a, a total group because mm -hmm. everyone is everywhere doing their own thing. Yeah. And it's hard to f find that one person that's going to actually yeah. bring in the whole group. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Hey, I don't, I don't know the, um, I don't know the code to open this back up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, you were saying that sometimes that it's hard to even get groups to open up because of where you are so individualistic. Um, and we, we do a whole training on this, and um, uh, I'm going to share some resources with you at the end that some of you guys may be interested in, but. Um, <coughs> you don't, like I said, you have to adapt because we are in such a, a diverse kind of, oh, there we are, thank you. My pleasure. We are in such kind of a diverse milieu here, but at the same time, um, we, we have experience groups like that where, where we find a person and they, they form a group, you know, they bring together a group. What I found in our kind of Western and urban context is that it tends to be uh, very small. Like if I'm in a, a, you know, in West African village and I say gather people, it's going to be like 40 people. You know, if, I, if I'm in like New York City or Tampa and I say gather people, we got like four people, <laughs> you know. Uh, but we're still starting with a group. It's just much smaller social units that we're working with a lot of times. And, and again, I, what I'm looking for, not everybody will gather a group. What I'm looking for is, the, the, is those people. So there's lots of people that get evangelized on the way to looking for someone who can form a group. But that's what I'm aiming for, is someone who will form a group. So, um, where are we at? Okay, right there. Um, so three of the, and I'm gonna give you guys like the briefest of overviews. So, um, and again, I'll share kind of some on-ramp kind of stuff, some additional resources here at the end that you, could, you may be interested in, but that's actual like training. But um, so there's three conversational skills. So these are three things that I teach, and some of you guys may have been in this when I did it here a year or so ago, but um, uh, that we teach when we do kind of like a, a workshop. So we'd like a workshop for churches. We're, we're a mission organization, but we do a whole lot of training. The training is a means to an end because we want to mobilize as many disciple makers as possible. Um, and so that's, that's our, our aim. Um, so spiritual statements, just going to give you an overview of these practices. And listen, you can take this stuff out for a spin and kind of experiment yourself and kind of learn how this works for you. Um, but, um, but you can also get some more, some more training on it if you want. But spiritual statements, what that simply is, it is a one-liner. I'm in a conversation, um, and it's not more than one or two sentences of something that, that relates to the conversation. It's not out of left field. <laughs> it relates to the conversation, and it points to faith in some way. And again, if they ignore me, it's okay. They probably heard me. If they change the subject, they definitely heard me. Let them. Um, if, um, if they start an argument, I'm, I'm bailing. I'm changing the subject. I've done it. <laughs> but, uh, and so I'm, I just make a spiritual statement, and it does one of two things. It either turns the conversation, and now we're talking about spiritual things, very subtly. I just made this one statement, and they, they responded to it because it's a conversation they want to have. Or it doesn't turn the conversation, but at the very least, I'm signaling to them that I'm a person of faith. So if that time comes, they know. And I would say if you make a spiritual statement and someone ignores you, the next time you see them, do it again. It's one line. It's like three seconds and maybe a 20-minute conversation. Only, only the most hostile person is going to be offended by that. Okay? You're just tossing seeds. You're seasoning a conversation. And if someone responds, then that's what you want. Okay? 
This is a, and listen, I talk about those movements that are taking place in different parts of the world where it's like illegal and all this stuff. And I have people say to me, well, what about the workplace? I can't really op- talk about religion openly. I said, well, don't talk about religion openly. Do it subtly. <laughs> you know, like there, there are ways to do things. They somehow are doing it in places where people are arrested and killed. There are ways to do things, okay? Uh, I'm not looking for you to get fired either, but just there are subtle ways to do things and then take it off campus if the conversation seems to open up. You know, do lunch, great, okay? But, so spiritual statements are just one-liners. Let me, let me give you an example of how much every one of you do this in your lives. So I'll give you an example because I like, I, like, I like sports, football and stuff. And so um, let's say I'm in a group of guys I use this example a lot just because it, it makes the point. I'm in a group of guys and I'm talking about, we're having a conversation about basketball and they're like, you know, LeBron or whoever and Curry and they're, you know, this last minute shot and it's this clutch shot that happened and, you know, wins the game. And I'm not, but maybe, you know, it's, it's like fall or January. I, I want to talk about football. So I might make a reference. Oh, that's just like that last minute touchdown. And I'll make a football reference. And one of two things are going to happen. Either the conversation turns to football and now I'm a happy camper because that's what I wanted to talk about. Or they ignore me completely and keep talking about basketball. And I keep talking about basketball too because I'm not a jerk. Okay? We do this all the time. Why not with matters of faith? Is that like get in where you fit in? <laughs> is it what? You get in where you fit in. Yeah, you get in where you fit in. No, that's exactly right. We, do, we have a whole thing on that too. <laughs> but you, you get in where you fit in. Um, that, that really, that's a whole, that actually is a whole, not time right now, but that is a whole conversation of kind of what's your quote mission field? Well, w- what do they like to do and what do you like to do? And then where's the overlap? You know, like that's, that's kind of finding your, your, your field. Um, another thing that we talk about is Bible stories. And that's simply, you get into a conversation and um, what are Bible stories that fit into the conversations you're already having? That's the first thing I want to do with people. What are the conversations you're already having? So what are stories that may speak into those conversations? Not as a one-up, but naturally fit in. Where, hey, there's, that's like this story. Oh, that's like this thing I heard. Oh, there's this thing that like Jesus did, you know, and you, you bridge it and you're, you talk about this story that you heard and you just bring that into the conversation. That can happen two ways. It can happen the same way as a spiritual statement, but it can also build on a spiritual statement, right? So you make a spiritual statement, it turns the conversation and now you're adding a story and now you're building a conversation with gospel content, all right? Um, that's that's, that's kind of how that can happen. There's a couple things I tell people all the time with Bible stories. One, under a minute or less. This is not the, the long exegetical version. I love that version. I'm, I'm big time into that version. But this is the, the seed casting version. Okay? So under, you're not hijacking the conversation. Start preaching to people. That's not what we're doing here. We're casting seeds. So this is the one minute or less version of the Bible story. And if they want to talk more about it, well, yeah, then unpack it. You're, like, you're not breaking the rules. They want to talk more about it, talk more about it. But we're talking about casting seeds. And if they want that seed unpacked, wonderful. Okay, but we're just talking about casting seeds. What's the one minute or less version of that story that fits the conversation naturally? The other thing I try to say to people, we have to learn how to talk normal. Okay, people don't speak NIV. They're certainly not fluent in King James. Okay, people don't walk around speaking Sunday school. Okay, we have to put this in a normal, just practice telling Bible stories in normal everyday language. And if this is a struggle for you, here's a piece of advice. Go pick your, go on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever, go pick yourself up a children's Bible. Seriously, it's training wheels, okay? Um, the other thing is your story. So basically your testimony, but I'm not saying go up to people and go, let me tell you my testimony. That's not what I'm saying, okay? But, but, you're, but that's what it is, okay? So your story, okay, your story. Um, so same thing, 
under a minute or less. If they don't respond to you, even though this is your story, don't get per- it's not personal. This is your seed casting story. Again, under a minute or less, because this is not, this is not the, 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 the hour-long story at a coffee shop late at night with your friend. That's not that version. It's not the five-minute version on stage, and if it's 501, the worship leader's ready to yank you. Like, not, not that version. Okay? This is the, the minute or less casting seeds in the conversation, pointing your life, pointing to faith in some way. It's that version, okay? Minute or less, everyday normal language. And like I said, if you're talking to someone and they switch to kind of the religious jargon, if you want to, you can switch with them. You know how to speak that. It's great. But assume they don't speak it when you start talking to someone. That needs to be your leading assumption. Try to use everyday normal language. Um, so there, there's more than this. That we, but These are kind of the, if I want people to get just some basic conversational starting points to, have, to be able to engage people. These are three practices, conversational practices that we want to get across for people to begin uh, working with and their everyday interactions with people. This is stuff, these are conversations that every single one of you can have in the neighborhood, at the gym, on the track, at work, at the whatever it is you like to do, your hobbies. And let me say this to you, when it comes to engaging people who don't already know Jesus, if your entire world, if your entire social world is nothing but other Christians, nothing but other good church-going folk, it's time for a hobby. Okay? And if you're one of those people that's doing like five or six things in church, you need to get it down to two or three. Someone else needs to step up. Don't just like abandon it, but you know, like, but quickly, rapidly, someone else needs to step up. And you need to find yourself in spaces with people who don't already know Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I stand in front of a church and I'm doing, I'm doing evangelism. Like we're doing like a three-hour training. Like they showed up. They stayed after church on a Sunday or they showed up on a Saturday morning or they came on a Wednesday night or whenever the church schedules it. And we're doing a three-hour workshop on evangelism and having these conversations. And a and, and n- number of people in the room will say, I only know Christians. I only have Christian friends. Like, well, then it's time to get out more, <laughs> okay? And you might have to change some of your rhythms of, to do that. But it's time to start thinking like missionaries. Okay. All right, we are coming in for a landing. So here's a, just a few opportunities I want to share with you. Um, by the way, over in the admin building, I'll hang over there some today and tomorrow too when I'm not teaching or listening teaching because uh, we, we put our little Global City Mission booth thing there at the tables in the admin building. So if you're over there, you know, there's, there's some of that. I brought a, I brought a few uh, flyers with me too and business cards. But uh, one is we have church-based opportunities. And so one is the conversational evangelism workshop. We, we did this here maybe a year and a half ago, um, two years, I lose track, but a year or two ago. Um, so we do the conversational evangelism workshop. If you're, a, if you're a church leader, if you're a pastor in the room, one of the things that I try to tell everybody in church leadership is um, if you do a one-time workshop, have a plan for continuing the conversation because we're only there to jumpstart. But you've got to have... We're talking about building habits. It doesn't happen in three hours. It doesn't happen in one afternoon. But how do you continue the conversation? So that's, that's what I try to advocate all the time, that the, the leaders practice, continue the conversation. And then, then we do as a part two, starting discovery groups workshop. And so that's basically training along the lines of what we were talking about, of what does it look like to start groups with non-believers that are engaging scripture uh, and learning about discipleship. Um, and it can be done with, the same thing can be done with Christians, and often is. But, uh, but, but the, the aim is pulling together people that are not already followers of Jesus into these groups. 
Um, and so we only do the second one if you've done the first one. Because the odds are greater that you will just gather Christians if we don't have you trying to have intentional conversations with unbelievers. Okay? Um, we also do a, a larger six-month coaching partnership with churches. We walk through six months of like all this training plus coaching and walking with leaders and Zoom calls and all kinds of stuff. Uh, there's also an online opportunity. Um, I have a few flyers in my bag. I'll just set them here somewhere. Um, and this is a, um, our next one starting January 23rd. So that's next week. Uh, Tuesday evening, 7 o'clock, Zoom. Um, it meets every other week. We do that because it's about putting things into practice. And so we leave there to let there be space for that to happen. Uh, we're not just rushing through a week and forgetting we're in this thing. Um, so we do it. It meets every other week for seven sessions. Okay. Um, and that's, uh, that's an online training. And so, and, and we really just want to mobilize people. So let me tell you how we do that. So the, the price for students is 35 and for everyone else is 95. And, but here's what we do. If you check the box, you have to opt in on the registration online. You check the box. This is, I'd like my, I like a rebate. Um, and if you attend all seven sessions, we'll give you hundred percent of your money back because we want people's time commitment. We want you to have skin in the game. Now, if you miss a session, we're keeping it, okay? But, but, uh, um, but, but if you make all seven sessions, we'll, we'll send it back, okay? And you just have to opt in, check that box. Um, and so um, that's something, the next one starts next week, January 23rd, 7 p.m., um, and you just have to, uh, you have to sign up on the online form and, uh, and sign up and just attend 10 to all seven sessions. The first four sessions is walking through the conversational evangelism stuff that we've been talking about. And the last three sessions is on starting discovery groups. So it's kind of those workshops, but the workshops are more unpacked, like three hours in person, exercises around tables. The online version is 90 minutes each. And so it's just, but it's walking through some things. Um, uh, we do a whole session on like, what did you call that? Like get in where you can fit in. We do a, we do a, we do a whole session on that. <laughs> and so, um, so those are some, uh, those are some resources for you to be aware of that come from us. Oh, one other thing I'd mentioned, cause I don't want to miss mentioning this. If you're sitting in this room and whether it's bivocational, bivocational means you see yourself as a missionary, but some, but you're really part-time and something else pays the bills or I want to raise support and be fully fit. Hey, it's raise support. Cause that's, that's missions, but I uh, raise support and I want to be a missionary. It doesn't have to be someday. What about Tampa right now? So if you want to have that conversation, I'd love to have that conversation with you. Jean is actually on our team as a mobilization person. She, so her whole job is finding those people. <laughs> so raise your hand, Jean. People probably know you here. So, um, so uh, you know, if, if, if that's you, be a missionary in your city, we'd love to talk. We'd love to talk. All right. Yeah, I'm right at 12. There is contact information. If you can't see that, it's J-A-R-E-D-L-O-O-N-E-Y at globalcitymission.org. Our mobilization director is Joey Dermeyer at globalcitymission.org. And our local in Tampa um, mobilization catalyst is Gene Murdoch at globalcitymission.org. And our website, which is, if you only want to remember one thing, <laughs> just go to our website. We have like forms on a bunch of different pages but uh, uh, globalcitymission.org. So if you want to get in touch, you can take a picture of that screen, whatever you need to do, write that down. And would love to, uh, love to chat more. So let me do that last little one, because it's fun. There you go. Okay, let me pray, and we'll go to lunch. Father, thank you, God, so much for your 
mercy, your compassion, your strength, your power. Father, thank you for stepping into our lives and calling us to follow you as your children, as your servants. Father, we pray you go ahead of us into people's lives who you would entrust us to, to be your messengers to. Father, we pray that you will go before us and, and, and till the soil and get them ready, Father. And we pray you will help us to be faithful. That as we do things, as we speak and do for Jesus, that you will shape us by your spirit to do those things like Jesus. Because that makes all the difference. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys.